0: Amen. Um, Well, good morning. I hope that everybody had a wonderful, joyful Christmas this past year. And for those who love the Christmas season or love Christmas Day, if you're starting to count, it's only 362 days until the next one. All right. As we are ending up of 2014, usually that is when we all get our affairs in order, right? We need everything to be in place so we can get forward into the new thousand, 2015. That's why we make New Year's resolutions, right? Yeah, I can tell some people don't do that. All right, well, New Year's resolutions, what does it mean to, to, do, to have a New Year resolution? Why do we do it? Well, we, you know, we do it because there's something about us that we want to change. We have reflected back on the past year and think, hey, I need to start anew on something in 2015. That's why we make New Year's resolutions. And with all the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season and everything, hopefully you maybe have some time to reflect. If you hadn't because you are all tied up and been hosting family and all that, don't worry. I've got you a list together of some things you can think about to be on your New Year's resolution. So let's go ahead and start. The first one that everybody has on their mind is, I need to get a gym membership and go exercise, right? Well, in case you don't know, all of these lists that I I have compiled, they come straight from Google, all right? I myself don't usually make New Year's resolutions, so if you miss anything that I say, go to Google. They're all in the top 10 list. Well, there's another thing that we all think about when we're doing New Year's resolutions. It's starting to eat better, right? We've had way too much of mama's apple pie, so we need to work that off. So that's why way those ter- first two go together, the exercise and then the eating better. It all kind of shapes together. What are some other things we do? Well, maybe want to, we just want to spend more time with the family. We've had such a wonderful time over the Christmas break and being with family that we want to make this new year of time of having more time with our family. What about Being responsible with our money. Well, I know that everybody now that, uh, now that they paid for all these gifts and all that kind of good stuff, that now they're in a money crunch. So going forward, we need to make sure we know how to manage our money right. Well, there's some other self-improvement things that a lot of people think about when New Year's resolutions come along. That is cutting out smoking, maybe stop drinking as much, maybe just cleaning up the way we talk, you know, to you know, our family or maybe friends because Christmas time is another one of those times where all of that stuff gets heightened and some things come out that we don't really want to. Another one is maybe getting along with our family, our neighbors, uh, maybe even our coworkers. We can say that, you know what, we need to have resolutions in order, right? And the thought is, why do we make a resolution? Well, it's to make a change something in us feels a little off. We want to make that change so that we can make it better. In fact, the definition of a resolution is the act of finding the answer or a solution to a problem. So there is a certain problem. All of those that I just listed, there is a basic problem with each one of those that we want to fix, that we need to get fixed. So why do I go to the gym membership? Well... My tummy sticks out a little too far, right? I want to get that under control. That's the thought of most people who want to get into a gym, membership, and exercise. They need, they want, they think that that problem, they have a weight problem. I would, I would say, I don't think there are many people that do that, but they just overthink it. But what about eating more healthy? Well, that means that we have a problem with our eating habits, Right? There is a definite problem with those eating habits. I know for me, I have to put down the cheese puffs and the ice cream because those I crave, right? My, we- my wife is pregnant. She loves the ice cream. If I know that there's ice cream in the freezer, I can't resist myself. So we need to get our eating habits a little bit more in order. What about spending time more f- with family? Well, th- there's a basic problem, and in, uh, in the f- problem is, is that a lot of times we're always at work. We spend a lot of time at work, and then when we come home, we have more chores to do because we have kids, and we got to do this and got to do that, and we really don't ration our time out to spend with the family. So there's a problem there. What about being responsible with our money? Let's face it. We all have poor spending habits, right? If we see an infomercial on the TV, we're like moth drawn to the flame. We've got to have it, and so we just click yes, we all have money management issues that we need to get under fixed. What about quitting smoking or drinking or swearing? Well, all of those problems, I think, can be said as they're unhealthy. In fact, the, the, the one about the, the, the foul language, I know that um, the biggest reason or the biggest problem, I need to clean that up because my mom's here today. And if she ever were to hear me say something that is really derogatory or negative, I would get a beat down. So, and then still, at my rifle age of, you know, whatever. So, you know, those are all problems that we need to fix. What about the, you know, the, the family and co-workers and all that kind of good stuff? Well, I think the problem with that is that society has taught us to really think about ourselves. You know, if I have a problem or if something doesn't go the way I want, I do not have the Facebook app to just put unfollow, all right? I need to deal with it, our communication with our fellow people needs to get a little bit better. So that is why we make new resolutions, is because something feels off, all right? And especially when it comes to the new year, a lot of time, we've had a lot of time to take off and to really reflect on what has gone on in 2014 and what we need to change for 2015. Now I think that resolutions are a good thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to say they're a, a bad thing. But if you will for a second, I'm going to be a little bit Debbie Downer on New Year's resolutions, all right? And this is because of the recent statistics I actually read about New Year's resolutions. Did you know only 8% of people actually complete a New Year's resolution? They finish it all the way to completion, 8%. Alright? What about this one? 25%, like if we were just polling this, 25% of the group in here would quit after the first week. Alright? Guess what? 80% of us are done after the end of January. It's it's no longer a worry to us. So why, if we're making this new commitment or something that's new? resolve commitment why does it not hold true to be honest with you I don't know but I have some good ideas. one we put way too much confidence in me I am I have my own willpower I like to do things I like to do things myself when I fall short who else do I have to blame but me I don't try to depend on anybody else I try to depend on me I need help number two we're not fully committed. Yes, we have all these, you know, good years, resolutions. Yeah, we're so gung-ho. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But we never put any back to the, to the gung-ho of it, right? We don't supply the action that actually comes with the actually thought about it. In Reflect, it requires a life change, and we don't really change anything about us. We're not, we don't have a commitment because we don't change the way we live. Which leads to the third reason why I think that, you know, we don't follow through on resolutions, and that is there's no heart change, right? Think about it. If there's no conviction, if you don't have any conviction in your heart about those things, then we're going to question, we're going to doubt, and really we're just going to say it's not worth it. And that's why we quit. Now, here's where I'm going to transition and go from you know all those New New Year's resolutions and actually make it a spiritual reality for us. All right? As a Christian, if I don't allow any of these resolutions to glorify and lift up the name of Jesus, they're ultimately going to fail. Let me say that again if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if we don't make any resolution in our life that doesn't lift up or glorify the name of Jesus Christ, it's ultimately, it's going to fail. Even the Lord's Prayer says, your will be done. My goal should not be to lose 50 pounds. It should not be to give all my money to the church. I know Rick would disagree with that. It's not even that I should be your best friend every day and come out. The, th- the priority is, the goal is, what it says in Matthew 22:37. 37. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's our goal, to love the Lord. You know, all those other things, as well as they may be, those things will all fall into place as long as our first priority is right. That's the biggest reason why I think the New Year's resolutions fail, is because their priority is out of focus, which should be our love for Jesus. When our love for Jesus is stimulated, everything else will really fall right into place, and it will fall right into perspective. So this is, uh, you know, Jesus should be the most important things in our life. In fact, if Jesus is the most important thing in your life, that is when change will occur. And not only will change occur, it will take hold, because Jesus is dependable. So today, I'm going to actually present a new life resolution, not in a new year's resolution, a new life resolution that all believers of the Lord Jesus should be committed to. So are we ready to begin? All right, let me get some enthusiasm. Are we ready to begin? Yeah. Okay, that's a little bit better. All right, all right, we're going to be looking into the Gospel of Matthew. So, so... We're actually going gonna to be in a parable, um, and you might ask yourself, what is a parable? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. A parable is a story. It's a story with one specific meaning. Did you get that? It has one specific meaning. Now, a lot of times we have confusion about parables, all right? And the reason that we have confusion about parables is that we try to add or we try to throw in all these Christian theologies theologies or thoughts into it, and it's not there. We only need to really come up with the true thing of what it's talking about. Because when we start putting all those other things, when we start throwing, you know, love and all this charity and all that kind of good stuff, we can really take away from what the central theme is of what the parable is trying to say. So if you're not already there, if you would, open up. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. It's like it keeps on going. Um, so if, here's, the, here's the important lesson I say in, in, in offering that gift to you. It is of utmost importance that if anybody is going to be a person of God, that we actually have a copy of God's handbook with us. So I don't care. Make this your travel Bible, whatever. This is our gift to you. All right, well, me being loud, I'm going to you know, have to chug some water. But uh, as we open up to Matthew 18, there has already been a dialogue started. Jesus has actually been talking with his disciples all through the chapter of 18. And so as we get into this parable, Jesus is, is having a conversation. And Jesus is usually the one that actually tells the parable. So he is sharing this parable with us. So I pick up in verse 21. And it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one of them was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, employing him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave his debt. So here we see a problem. There is a servant that owes his master a good deal of money. Now, the master just simply wanted to settle up. I don't know, maybe it's the end, of the end of the year and he wants to get all his financials in order. So he's, he simply calls this guy in and he wants to settle his account. There's nothing to be worried about, right? Well, was there, there might be a little bit to worry about. In fact, there's 10,000 talents to really be worried about. Now, for you, that might not seem like a lot of money. I, I paraphrase it like this. I thought 10,000 talents, all right. If I were to owe $10,000 today, I'd be like, eh, that's gonna hit my pocketbook. It's gonna hurt, but it's not all that bad, right? I mean, I, you know, I, it's manageable. I can do that. Well, in this case, that's not exactly the point. There is something that we really need to be worried about, and this is the reason why. A talent is a measure of weight. Okay? In fact, it's a measure. It is the highest measure of weight known to the Roman Empire. All right? And then 10,000. Don't think 10,000 is all that much, but 10,000 is actually the highest number used in the Greek language. So if you put those things together, that's a lot of ching That All right? That is a lot of moolah. In fact, the, the, as, as I was reading, This amounts to millions and millions of dollars, all right? This one guy owed his master that much. Now, let me give you another comparison. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but his name is Josephus. He is actually a historian at that time, and he actually gave an example, not of this, but of a totally different thing. And let me me try to, you know, kind of get your mind around how much this guy owed. The whole providence of Palestine, which is a large area of land and people living in that land, they actually owed the Roman government 8,000 talents in taxes. That's what that whole you know, land actually owed the Roman government you know, in, in money, 8,000. This one dude had 10,000 talents by himself. He could never... Let me say this again. He could never pay back that debt. This debt is so big that his his life was being thrown into servitude, not only his, but his whole entire family. And not only that, all his possessions were going to be sold. Not only that, none of that, all of that together would have never been able to really live up to what the king was owed. This dude is helpless helpless and then we go but but here's the good thing and he fell on his knees and he begged for mercy and here's a, it worked the king so pitied him that he really he gave him his life back not only did he release him you know you know, just release him and let him go which he was not obligated to do the king pardoned everything 10 million dollars hey it's okay i got you try doing that with your mortgage company i don't think you would have much luck with that but the the king he showed great restraint and he gave such mercy to this servant but as all things the story still continues so we pick up in verse 28 but when the same servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him he began to choke him saying pay what you owe so this servant fell down and pleaded with him have patience with me and I will pay you but he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay his debt." Now, wow, we see within just, you know, verses of each other, we see two identical stories with two completely opposite results, all right? This one, you know, this, this servant was shown great mercy. He was shown great restraint. He was shown great forgiveness. From his ordeal, you would have thought that he, was, he had that mindset to really pay it forward to the next guy that he would have come to, right? But let's look a little bit closer at these two stories, and we'll, we'll, we'll see the little details that really stand out. That first servant of the king who was brought to the king you know, to settle his account, he, was actually, he wasn't like grabbed and brought in. He was actually asked to come. Hey, I need you to come see me. Versus what this guy was, he actually sought out. He went out to find somebody who owed him money. He was intentional. I'm going to find somebody who owed me money. And when he went out, he found this guy that owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii, I'm not going to say, it's not chump change, all right? By no means, I'm not saying that. A denarii is, um, let's say, it's a day's labor. So this guy owed him a 100 days worth of labor. So it's it's a little bit amount of money, but it's nowhere in comparison to what he owed. And when he sees this guy, what does he do? I mean, I might have been angry. I might have been upset. But the dude puts a WWF chokehold on him. Give me my money, all right? This guy, how upset do you have to be to greet somebody with the chokehold? I mean, really. That's, to me, that, that, that's, that's just a little bit more than I am willing to do. Um, but as he's choking this guy, he says, pay me what you owe me. I want what is due to me. And then the servant does exactly what this other servant did when he was before the king. He fell to his knees. He asked for patience. He said, I will pay you everything. You would think that at this point, after learning what, you know, or you know, after experience what he had happened with the king, that maybe he would pay it forward to this guy and release him of the debt that was owed him. But he refused to show any mercy. He didn't even consider it. He didn't even think about it. He didn't even pity the man like the king did. He refused the mercy that the king had the and then he threw him into jail. Now let me say something about the jail and the whole thing about prison sentence here. Now it was common for this to happen. If somebody owed somebody else money they could actually take them and throw them in jail. Why? Well, because they're, they're, out of that comes a little glimpse of hope. And the reason they actually put them in jail was that they have, hopefully this, this guy that you're putting in jail, had friends, had family, had other people that owed him money and they would actually come to his rescue and bail him out by being able to pay the bill that was owed to this other servant, the the hundred denarii. But as wonderful as that act of kindness really could have been, uh, the outlook was still very bleak. That wasn't gonna happen. That first servant refused to show mercy. In fact, it was a vigorous action of when he threw him into jail you could say that this this guy was he was forgiven but he was still unforgiving to his friend he was a man full of ingratitude and injustice simply put he was not exact not an example that God had intended for his people to be he wants much more out of his people Now, let me conclude this portion of the parable was uh, picked up in verse 31. Now, when his fellow servants saw that he what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported this to the master, which is the king and all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have had, should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in his anger, he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. Now, this is the point in the story where I just sit back and said, Oh, yeah, right? Justice has been served. This man got what he was asking for. I mean, this is the way a story is supposed to end, right? I mean, this even puts a little smile to your face, shouldn't it? That the man was punished properly for his injustice, the injustice that he bestowed upon his fellow servant. Well, I told you that there was a ray of hope. And all the other, all the other servants, they, they saw what they had happened to, you know, this, you know, to this servant, their fellow servant friend. And they went and reported this all to the king. And that's when the master he, he calls back the first servant and he and he and he asks him, Hey, what gives? What what happened? You know, I showed you some great act of kindness. Why can't you do that to the next person? I took all of your debt away. No more, and it was big. But then we see the end result, we see that the debt actually was restored upon that guy. Now I already mentioned that, you know, 10,000 talents, it's, it's, not a, it's not a chump chain, it's not something that he can just go to his bank, pull out and give to the guy and say, okay, I actually did have it, no. This man is now, where he was before, helpless, he is now hopeless. So what do we take from this story? Is it about the fact that are we to just forgive people of their debt who owe us money? Now, it sounds good. I mean, it sounds right, but that's not what's going on here. All right, so what about uh, should we make sure that, you know, when something bad happens to us that we, we ask the Lord to give us patience as we work through it and, you know, that it will get settled? Well, that, that, that sounds good. I mean, you know, but the fact is, we'll probably never get all of our affairs in order. I mean, that sounds so thoughtful and the Lord is willing. He actually gives us patience all the time. But that's, that's not what this, this parable is actually talking about. Okay, what about paying it forward, right? I, I brought that up for, you know, that's a, a new concept in our society today that we should pay it forward. If something nice has been given to us, then we should be able to go and do it to somebody else. That, that must be what this parable is about, right? Not hardly. As you can see, I can I could have tried to shape things and thrown things into this parable, you know, to try to make good teaching points, but that's not the case. There is only one truth about what this parable is all about. The parable has everything to do with forgiveness. All right? The master of this parable is none other than King Jesus, all right? And that first servant, all that he is is somebody that has been shown forgiveness. Jesus has offered to everyone the chance to be freed from the debt of sin. And it's a debt that we cannot pay. Someone had to step in and to deliver us from that debt of our sin just like the first servant in this parable. And we really, we do, we need to be like this man, and we need to fall to our knees and plead for patience, to cry out in mercy, which the, ki- the king was willing and able to grant him. But the thing is, is we also see this, this servant that he offers that forgiveness to, He goes on with that vindictive attitude, and he goes on to his fellow servant and says, "You know, I am unwilling to pardon you from that money." He he goes and actually makes a fool of himself. So it makes you wonder. Kind of said this in the beginning: is was there ever a heart change in this this guy? I mean, he had been given a new stance on life. He had given freedom. We ask ourselves: Did he truly accept the gift? A forgiveness that the king was offering him. Now I ask you, have you offered, or have you accepted that gift? That same gift that Jesus was offering this man, have you accepted that gift? And it's an important choice. And it's given to all of us. Verse 34, I didn't read this, but it goes on to say, And his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. This is simply to say, this is a glimpse of hell. The jailers in this, it, it, it infers that there will be torture. And with him, having to pay back all that debt of sin, this is a life sentence. This is an eternal sentence. But even with that small little glimpse that I tried to grab at it, that's not what this is about. It goes back to forgiveness. The point of this the, this, this parable, is the measure of how far forgiveness has been extended to us. How far has the measure of forgiveness been extended to all of us? This is the reason why forgiveness is a big thing. Not for when we just receive it from the Lord, but how we act with others. Jesus did this for us, or or let me say it in, in this way. How can we accept a gift of freedom from our sin and then turn around and not forgive somebody else that Jesus has forgiven as well? How can we accept such a gift of no more sin held against me and then turn around and say, I am not willing to forgive my fellow person, I feel as this time I, I left some a little bit out of this parable, and I think it's we need to to really go back and finish the whole entire story. See, this parable actually started back in uh, a little bit, uh, two verses before, back in twenty one, and I, I don't know if you guys know of the guy named Paul Harvey, but Paul Harvey always had a little saying. He said, "And now." the rest of the story so if you are if you since you're still there in Matthew we're gonna pick up in verse 21 now in verse 21 this is where Peter has has come to Jesus and he has asked him a question alright and so this is where we pick up then Peter came up and said to Jesus Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. So Peter asked this question. Do I forgive somebody seven times? If somebody has wronged me, do I forgive them seven times? And uh, let me make, make clear, seven in the Bible, in Scripture, in other parts of Scripture, it is a number of completion. So... Peter is actually saying, hey, will seven times, if I forgive somebody seven times, will that be enough? In your standards, is that enough? What do you say, Jesus? And isn't that, isn't that what we kind of do too? Like if somebody wrongs us and we are to offer them forgiveness, don't we just kind of sit there and make a, make a how many times am I willing to forgive that person? And then and then not forgive them. We ask that same question. It's our question, just like Peter's. And I love it how Jesus, He just ample his answer is so simple yet so profound. I do not say seven times. I say seven times seventy. Okay, so not seven, let me do the calculation. Seven times 70 is, okay, 490. All right, so 490 times. That's, that's the standard? No, that's not what he's saying. It's a simple gesture, but he says as many times as it takes. As many times as it takes to forgive somebody, you are to offer forgiveness to that person. Does it sound good? No, but it's the standard that what God has done, alright? Just think about this. Christ has forgiven all of our sins. The ones we did yesterday and all the days before. The ones that we're going to do today or later today. And the ones that we'll do tomorrow and until the day we die. He has forgiven all of them. That's a lot. And here's the fact, or the reality of the subject is, God expects righteousness, like being perfect. He calls us to be holy. He says that's our standard. We are to be holy. That's without blemish. That's without one sin. That's the standard that God requires of us. And the way that that comes true is that Jesus has forgiven us of every single one that we've done. Micah uh, 7.19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Our sin has been taken away and it has been cast aside. No more to be seen ever again. And if God shows us forgiveness in this way, I think he expects us to show that same forgiveness. So really, what gives you or I the right to withhold forgiveness from anyone? If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what gives us the right to say, no, I don't forgive him. I forgive you. You're, you're cool. I like you. Nah, <laughs> Jeff, no. I'm not. Like, mm Yana, definitely not, all right? But, you know, everybody else, uh, you know, I'll let you slide. What gives us the right to say who and who we will not forgive? No, the standard is we forgive everybody. Now, that doesn't sound easy. And just like all those resolutions that I say that they usually fail, you know what? It takes effort. It takes a lot of effort. Number one, to even forgive somebody. But to forgive them to the point that what Jesus said as many times as it takes, that's hard. It's really hard. But if we are to be God's example, you know, we have to model ourselves after what Christ has done for us. Which means we forgive. We have to have the attitude of forgiveness Continually. And not only just forgiveness, but you know, here's how we, I think this is how we display forgiveness. All right, I forgive you, but I'm going to take that sin and I'm going to put it right up there on the shelf. And because I know you're going to do it again to me, and I'm just going to keep it there. And I'm going to wait until you do it again. I'm going to bring it back out and then I'm going to hold it over you. That's the forgiveness that I'm going to show you. Man, how would that feel if that was the way that Jesus treated us? One sin, he just puts them on the shelf and keeps stacking them up there and stacking them up there. Now, Jesus has forgiven everything. All of them. We are to do the same thing. Forgiveness means let it go. I know there's a nice Frozen song. I think it has great implications here. Let it go. It's gone. Jesus has remembered our sin no more. We are to do that same thing to everybody. It's a hard concept to even fathom. But that is the standard. And and while I'm, I'm putting this on and the pressure is on and you guys are saying, oh, man, that's already hard, I, 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 gotta, I got something else that I got to add on to that, all right? Not only are we to forgive everybody of everything and not, you know, do it with a delight, but we're supposed to do it with great joy, all right? Thank you for letting me forgive you. Thank you for you know, allowing me to, to pardon that forgiveness. I, we do it with a smile on our face. That's not what we typically think of when we forgive. We, we kind of keep people at bay when, you know, they forgive us. Because they wronged us. They did something that, was, that, that hurt me. But yet, we're supposed to do it with great joy. Think about this. If Jesus was stacking those sins on the shelf, holding them up against us. And then we did it again. And he just sits there and nods his head, thinks about it. How loving is that? It's not. Forgiveness is to be done with great joy. Why does it it need to be done with great joy? Well, um, there's a thing called reconciliation. All right. I don't know that you know much about it, but when we, find, when we find joy in our situations of forgiveness and offering forgiveness and receiving forgiveness, reconciliation is, is made. Reconciliation, it's a big old church word, but it simply means we restore the relationship. A relationship that maybe was once broken or a relationship that had conflict in it. We, it is restored. It is brought back to brand new. That is what reconciliation is is about. And I mean, the only one that I can truly think uh, you know, I, I was thinking of examples and you know, I could think of several ones, but but let's just think about it. As I look out, there's a lot of people that, you know, that have spouses, right? Who's the one person that you are most likely to maybe sin against or you know, cause friction between? it's probably your spouse maybe it's a fight over something and and something like this but when you offer forgiveness do you hold on to it? shouldn't we let it go because our relationship gets restored because of us offering that, 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 that act of kindness, that love to them that relationship is now restored the Bible tells us that we are all sinners, all right? We fall short of God's expectations. But God, right? I love those words in the Bible. But Jesus washed away our sins. He has reconciled. He has restored our relationship to God the Father. We are able to have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. He has forgiven everything. This parable is in totality all about forgiveness and how we are to extend forgiveness to everybody else because of how it has been given to us. And the, the, the reality is, verse 35 goes on, the, it, it finishes up this, this whole parable. It's, and In verse 35 it says, So also will my heavenly Father will do to everyone if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. If we do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ, how can we know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness, I, I've tried to explain it as best I can, but forgiveness is something that was freely offered by God, our King. He gave it to us without expecting anything from us. It's there to be taken, to be received. And all you have to do is just call on the name of the Lord. Now, I ended the intro earlier with, you know, New Year's resolutions well why don't they they really why do they really fail well because there was no heart change There was none and this raises the questions if we are truly not able to forgive our fellow man do we truly understand the grace that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ and him offering us forgiveness of all our sins The weight of forgiveness is so important and it is to be given out freely. If you have not accepted the forgiveness of God Um, only the Lord Jesus can really provide that. This might be that day of you receiving what God has freely been offering all along. And if, it's that you, if that's you, I really do hope that you will accept in your heart the Lord Jesus who is able to forgive us of all of our sins. He is the only one that can actually provide that way. And he is the only one that can provide it so that we are able to truly forgive others. I mean, if you are a brother or a sister in Christ that is struggling to forgive somebody else, I don't care what they did. I mean... The Bible even doesn't say what the extent of what the injustice that has been done to or against us. The fact of the matter is is that we are to forgive. And if that's you, if you are struggling to forgive somebody without joy or without just taking it and just you're holding it over that person, then maybe this message has been for you. I plead with you and ask that the heavenly Father change your heart and make forgiveness a priority. It should be a must. Well, uh, the only other person that I would less, uh, you know, have left to classify here is maybe everything's really good in your life. Maybe you don't have beef with anybody. Maybe you're on the up and up with everybody. All right. Well. God forbid you you go home and then somebody pulls out in front of you and oh, get you. <clears throat> offer forgiveness. There is going to be coming a time where you are going to need to offer forgiveness. Are you prepared? Are you ready for that? I don't want forgiveness to just be a New Year's resolution that a lot of people will do for the first month and then stop actually I want forgiveness to be a new life resolution for us one that can that holds true and stays steady and continues and in what characterizes us as a family of God as me as a person as a Christian one that is able to give out the forgiveness that has been given to me now I said earlier and um, with with all these resolutions and I gave statistics about how resolutions are are most likely to fail rather than succeed but I will say this there there also was some statistics that were actually some good news all right the good news about resolutions is is that you are 10 times more likely to succeed if you actually have a resolution in place that's good news but Let me give you even better, even greater news, all right? Maybe the greatest news. If Jesus Christ is number one in your heart, we have a 100% chance of being forgiven and being able to forgive joyfully and without reservations. Having Jesus gives us the opportunity to be able to forgive wholeheartedly. And that is what needs to be a qualification of what a Christian does. You forgive without reservation, and we do it joyfully. If you would, let's pray. Heavenly Father, are you... This is hard message to really receive. I understand what forgiveness is, or really do I? Forgiveness is just not holding back your love. It is the fact of us doling it out at any time, any way, any shape that you need us to. Lord, it is, it is devoiding ourselves of us and making you the point of the story, Lord. Thank you that you have given us forgiveness. You have offered it to us freely. Not only that, you, you just do it with a loving heart. Their expectations of it is that because we have it, we're not to do it. No, it's supposed to be a lifelong ministry of our lives, that we are to forgive, even though how hard it might seem when somebody does something so drastic against us. But, Lord, don't we do that to you? Lord, I just pray that uh, this, heart, this time now, that you know, if we have unforgiveness in our heart towards somebody, that we give it up to you, that you take it over and you fill us with the freshness of what your word has taught us, that we are able to forgive and we're able to do it joyously without reservation, with love in our hearts that only that you can give us. Lord, thank you that you have given us reconciliation. Thank you that you have restored that relationship through forgiveness. Lord, we pray, I pray that anyone in here that is having trouble with that, that Lord, you come into their hearts and you fix them from the inside. Give them that spirit of forgiveness that you offer to every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.